So I'm going to read um, from Isaiah, from um, his word. It's on page 687, if you want to open it in um, your Bibles. So this is Isaiah chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. This is what Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills, and all nations will stream to it. Many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Come, house of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Let's pray. Faithful God, our Father, nations rise and fall, but your word and your promises stand forever. Truly, you never lie. Your word is sure, and it's impossible for us to trust you too much. Please, draw very near to us now. And speak to us by your Holy Spirit through your most holy word. In Jesus' name, amen. So as Johnny said, uh, I live in Marlow, just a few miles away. Uh, I've lived there for eight years um, with Helen, my wife. And I've got three children, Thomas, Lauren and Josh, who've been running in a Santa Fun run this morning. As I left Marlow, two and a half thousand people were converging on the park, all dressed as Father Christmas. It's the most surreal thing. You feel like you're in a dream or a Where's Wally picture. And um, they just all kind of cruise around Marlow. So I've escaped that particular fun bit of madness this morning um, to come and be with you. And uh, when I arrived in, in Marlow um, eight years ago, I... Um, started up some informal forms of, of church alongside the traditional kind of Eucharistic pattern of worship there. Um, and so this feels very familiar to me. Um, you know, seven years ago at All Saints, the Church by the Bridge, we started up an informal service. Um, and uh, God has, it's been so much fun. It hasn't been easy. It's been quite hard work. We've continued doing, as you are here, um, really honoring the tradition of the church and trying to do that really well, but also starting up new contemporary worship and trying to do that really well. Um, we've seen, I guess, over 100 people join the church in that time. Um, and then four years ago, we did something similar in Marlow Bottom, um, which is where the brewery is. Uh, that's the most famous landmark in Marlow Bottom. But we pray that one day the church will be the most famous landmark in Marlow Bottom. And we've, we have, um, four years ago, started a church called The Lantern there, which took a very um, small, about 20 people um, who were all in their 70s, 
who basically um, opened the, the church up and gave a, agreed to use a lot of their reserves to bring in um, some church planters who came and started a, a church there and we probably added about 50 people to that congregation over the last four years. So I, I want to encourage you that what you're doing here is part of something God is doing, I, th- I believe, all over this nation. You know, you probably know, as I do, people in other cities and other places who are trying to do the same kind of things and God is blessing this kind of initiative again and again and again around the country. And so you're not alone. And be encouraged because the struggles that you are facing are being faced by others as well. And God is, um, I think, encouraging us to learn from one another and to take confidence that he has not finished with his church here. Indeed, he's raising up something new um, that I think is going to change the face of the nation. And I think um, the, the kind of things you're doing here are so exciting. And just in this morning that I've spent with you, I've heard so many um, stories and seen so many signs of the Spirit at work. So um, I know it's hard work, but it is bearing fruit. And as we begin Advent and, and think about the longing that we have um, for Jesus, it's quite a, quite, I, I hope that kind of resonates a bit with you as you're longing, come on, Lord. <laughs> Come on, this is what we want to see happen in this church, in this community. So really all I want to do this morning is remind you that in all of that, what is your job and what is God's job? Because I don't know about you, but I often get those two things mixed up. You know, I forget that it's God's, God's the only one who can remember everyone's name. God's the only one who can be in more than one place at once. God's the only one who can actually make people come to him. And yet I spend an awful lot of my time trying to do those and many other things that are actually God's job. And God calls us to do um, our part. But we need to remember what is our part and what is God's. And so we're going to look at this passage from Isaiah together. And it starts with a picture of a mountain. So in the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted over the hills and all nations will stream to it. Now, Isaiah is um, referring to the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. I don't know if any of you have been there. It's not exactly a mountain, but it's a prominent hill. It's where the temple was. And he's not talking about some kind of crazy seismic activity that forces the temple up into the sky. He's speaking metaphorically that this temple will be raised up so that everyone becomes more aware of it. Now, of course, the, the mountain imagery... Um, reminds us, or, or could remind us, of lots of other mountains in the Bible. little Bible quiz here. Shout out the name of some mountains from the Bible. Snowden. <laughs> Sorry? The one's from the Bible. Yeah, my Bible knowledge isn't perfect, so Snowden might be in there somewhere. But I wasn't sure if I heard you correctly. That's why I said, was it Snowden? Sinai. What happened at Sinai? Ten Commandments, amazing. So this experience, uh, wouldn't you love to be there? You know, this mountain, this meeting place with God and, um, and the Ten Commandments, which shaped the nation of Israel. Amazing. Yeah, any other mountains? Ararat. What happened on Mount Ararat? 
The ark landed. That must have been a good moment. Can you imagine being in the ark? You're like, where's this going? What's going to happen? And then suddenly you're on solid ground again. I think that is a great parable for people planting a church. You're kind of, whoa, where are we going? Oh, it's okay. We're on solid ground. God's got us. Yeah, what a, what, what a great um, moment. Mount Ararat. Any others? Nebo, great one. What happened on Nebo? Do you remember? Moses saw the promised land. Another, wow, what a moment that must have been. Moses went through quite a bit, didn't he? I've got to say, however hard it gets here, just remember Moses. Yeah, how much had he been through? And then the Lord let him see the promised land from Nebo. What a place, um, what a moment in his life. Any other mountains? Mount of Olives. What happened on the Mount of Olives? Jesus ascended to heaven. Yeah, whoa, that must have been quite a moment too, wasn't it? You get the picture. Pretty cool things happen on mountains in the Bible. Yeah, and any others? You guys are good. Horeb? Yeah, great. Horeb, well, is the, another name for Mount Sinai, but it was called Horeb um, in 1 Kings 19, where Elijah goes and meet. And do you remember there's, there's the wind and the earthquake and the fire and then the still small voice? That meet, one of the most famous meetings with God ever happened on Mount Horeb. So, I know I was allowed to prepare for this, but I'm thinking of Mount Moriah, where Abraham offered up Isaac and discovered God as the God who provides. That's something we need to know. I guess you guys are banking on God being the God who provides. Mount Carmel. Do you remember Elijah's God off, like the kind of strictly dance off, but with Baal, where it's kind of who is God, Yahweh or Baal? And the fire comes down and proves. Um, There's the Mount of Transfiguration, the Sermon on the Mount, um, all places of, all of these places, the mount, well, the mount of the sermon. <laughs> Maybe it was Snowden. I don't know. But it was a mountain. All of these mountains are places of revelation, aren't they? They're places of meeting with God. And I, I want to say most of all, Golgotha. You're not a mountain, but a hill outside the city where God reveals himself as king, not on a throne of gold, but on a cross, the only time in the whole of his life where Jesus was publicly kind of named and proclaimed king of the Jews and it was nailed on that board above his head. The only time he wore a crown and it was a crown of thorns. And Jesus was lifted up on that hill. And this is what, um, I don't know if if you know this, I'm sure many of you do, but just before the most famous verse in the Bible, John 3.16, where it says, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. The verses before that say, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. See, it's a picture of Jesus being lifted up and people coming to him. And I think all of these are just part of the rich biblical imagery of the mountain and what happens there. God's name is exalted as Isaiah says, exalted above the hills and all nations will stream to it. And I want to suggest to you that I know you're not quite on the top of the hill here, but you're in a very prominent position, that this is a mountain place, this church, St. Mary and St. George, that this is the, the mountain, the, the meeting place for people with God from this community that here, as people look up to this amazing building, this landmark in the local community, they see somewhere where they can meet with God. And what you are doing, 
And what we have been doing already this morning is lifting the name of Jesus up. You see, that's part of our job. It's God's job to make the nations stream to him. Our job is to lift Jesus high. Verse 3, it says, Many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go up the mountain of the Lord to the house of the God of Jacob. Wouldn't you love that to be what people say on Sunday morning in Sands? Come, let us go up those 300 steps, or how many they are, and worship at the house of God and be with God's people. That's what we're praying for, isn't it? And so your job, if I might be so bold, is to come, to go up, to worship Jesus together, to show up week by week. I know it's not very glamorous, but that's part of what it means to respond to God, to show up to worship, to commit time and money and prayers to the vision here. Climbing up is hard work, and there are days when we don't feel like showing up, when it's easier not to. But as you do that week by week, others will join you as you keep lifting the name of Jesus up. And to be honest, if you don't do it, others won't join you. And people do. I've seen this in Marlow. People look around, and you know, if they think, oh, what's the deal here? You come once a month. Okay, <laughs> I'll come once a month. You know, there's a... There's a There's something about coming up the mountain together and making it part of our worship that we are here. We go up the mountain together. We show up and we do our bit. When we do that, we read, he will teach us his ways. I love that. As we worship God, we learn more about him, don't we? We encounter him. We know uh, what's on his heart. He shows us his ways. So it's a good thing to ask, especially in the confusing and, and complex task that you're all engaged in, to keep asking, Lord, what are you teaching us? You know, where do I need to change my mind? What did I used to think that actually doesn't apply here? What do I need to let go of to lay hold of what you want me to do now? What Maybe for those of you, which I know is most of you come from St. Andrews, what was there that we did at St. Andrews that we need to do differently here? What are you teaching us about church here now, today? And as he teaches us, the goal of that is that we may walk in God's path. So as, as we worship and as we grow, he teaches us to walk in his path, you might say, to go now, I've, I've been thinking a lot about this verse this week, and I, I've I noticed that there aren't any paths inside a church building. Have you noticed that? You, know, you don't construct a little gravel path from here to coffee. All the paths around this church lead out into the community. So I think part of what it means for God to teach us to walk in his paths is that he's teaching us where to go. He's teaching us how to reach other places. He's teaching us to come from this place of worship and to go out in other ways that are not our ways. You know, they're his paths. So they may not be what we would have expected to do or what we would have planned to do ourselves. But walking Jesus' way of life will take us, they'll teach us his paths, which are new paths. And maybe some of the paths that go out from here, I don't know if this is literally true, have got a bit overgrown and they might need hacking back again. And you might be going, no one's gone this way for a while. Are we going the right way? But the Lord will say, go on. This is a path I'm opening up for you and maybe it'll lead to a new group of people or a new school. I know you've opened up paths 
that others can come into the church, like the lunch project that I was hearing about earlier, like the Chris Dingle service, like the concert tonight. See, God will open up paths as we worship, as we grow, so that we can go. And it's this coming and going is so, it's, it's, um, it's the lifeblood of the church. So put your hand on your heart for a moment. Is it still working? I hope so. Okay, what your heart does, I'm told, I, I didn't even do GCSE biology, so I'm totally relying on other people for this, is that your, your blood kind of comes to your heart where it gets reoxygenated, and then it pumps back out around your body. Can someone nod if I'm vaguely right on that? Okay, that, that's what happens. And actually, if all your blood just rushes to your heart, what happens? You die. If all your blood just stays in your body and doesn't come back to your heart, what happens? You die. What keeps you alive? The constant coming and going. Do you know it's exactly the same with God's body, the church. As we come and gather and worship and grow, and then as we go and the paths that Jesus opens up for us, and then as we come back again and go out again, it's the heartbeat of the church. It's the life of the church. And one of the, one of the things that you need to watch for in your own lives and as a community is that you keep doing that, that you keep the heart beating. Because if you just start, because it's hard going out, if you just start staying here and worshipping, you'll have a wonderful time to start with and then the church will die because you're not going, you're not taking anything out. But, and this might be more of a danger for you, if you just go, 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 and you don't come back and worship and remember, ah, it's God's job to draw people to him, then you'll also die of exhaustion, (laughs) which is a slow and painful death. It's the coming and going. It's the heartbeat of the church. And I believe that you are called to be the heart of this community, not just in some soft, sentimental way. You're called to be the beating heart the one through whom life floods out down these pathways into the community and along which those same paths, people are drawn back in to the heart of God so that they can be filled with life and pushed back out again. Does that make sense? I believe that's what God's calling you to, what he's calling every church to. So as we do our part, as we worship, as we grow in our own faith and together, as we walk in his paths, he will do the rest. God does all the heavy lifting. I know it feels like hard work, and it is really hard work what you're engaged in. But God does the impossible work. He changes hearts. He draws in people. Do you know at the 9.30 service this morning, I walked in, the first person I spoke to, I went, hi, I'm new here. What's your name? She said, Samantha. I went, oh, how long have you been coming here, Samantha? She said, oh, I've just started coming, which I later discovered meant this is my first morning here. I went, oh, what brought you here? She said, well, I grew up in Micklefield and I used to go to church there. But uh, for some reason, this morning, I woke up and thought I'm going to come back to church. And I live just around the corner, so I came here. How cool is that? Now, I promise you, I didn't phone her up. I don't think Johnny did either. Why is she here? Why is she here? I don't think she was like, you know, looking for the library and got lost. I think you guys have been lifting Jesus up. And God does the heavy lifting. And he gets people out of bed like Samantha. And he brings them here, even if they're not entirely sure why they're here. 
And the last I saw of her, she was chatting to four or five people over coffee afterwards with a massive smile on her face. Does that excite you? I'm like, come on, that's amazing. You will see that happen again and again and again and again and again. Sometimes you won't see it for what feels like months. Other times they'll be like, Lord, why do you send 20 people all in one day? We can't cope with this. But God will do it. And you will see it with your own eyes because God is faithful. So God, um, he teaches. Some of what he does is here in Isaiah. He teaches, he judges. We, we don't judge. God sorts it all out. In the end, we just keep loving and praying and serving. He settles disputes, beats swords into plowshares. He takes people's weapons and disarms them. It's helpful to remember that as the general election approaches, isn't it? It's not our job to sort everything out, solve all the arguments. No, our job is to worship, to grow, to go. Keep on praying and trusting God. And then this last verse, come house of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. So I love that here it kind of, there's, there's a first section is about what we do. Second section is about what God does. And then this last bit, it's about let us walk together in God's light. It's like it brings it all together. And um, I've been thinking this week about how church is actually quite like going on a family walk. I don't know what your family was like growing up. In my family, walks were really hard, mainly because I, as a teenage boy, was like, I will not come on a walk, you know, unless it's around the garden, and then I can come back home and watch TV. So it was really difficult to get everyone together to go on a walk. But actually, when we did, it was, it was quite good fun, especially once the people who were going really fast had slowed down a bit, and me, who was dragging my feet at the back, had bothered to catch up. And now, of course, as a dad, I, I suffer this myself. I'm being visited on me, all the things that I gave to my parents. And I remember we, I was on holiday in, in Wales in the Brecon Beacons this spring with my family. And my wife and I, let's go on a walk. And it wasn't a short walk. It was a really long walk. So our children immediately down tools are like, I am not going for a walk, even if the house is on fire. And we're like, come on, it'll be really good. And eventually we cajoled everyone and we got them all together. It reminded me a bit of the process of getting this church plant together where we're trying to gather people. Come on, have you got your boots on? Have you got your coat? We get everything. Okay, we're ready to go. Woohoo! And I was there on St. Andrews on that day when you all went out. I know some of you probably weren't feeling woohoo, but we were ready to go. And then we set off on this walk, and to start with, you know, my oldest son was like striding ahead. We were like, slow down, or you're going to disappear over the hill and we'll lose you. And my youngest son was like, oh, can we go home now? We're like, we've just shut the gate from the garden. Come on, let's keep going. And eventually we got into a rhythm that we could all walk together. And we had the most amazing walk. We went right over the top of the Brecon Beacons, onto the, felt like the top of Wales. And, um, and we were going to this reservoir, kind of a long way off, where I had taken the car there earlier in the day. And, and it was one of the best... It's one of my best memories of the year. And in the middle of that walk, we right up on the top, middle of nowhere, couldn't see anyone. We stopped for a picnic and we found this little hollow in the hills out of the wind because it was really windy, blue sky. And there were birds kind of swooping over us and singing. And the kids were like rolling around in the heather, playing with each other. And Helen and I were just lying back with full tummies having eaten. And we were just going, oh, life is good. You know, when we gather together, and we, we eat together, as we're about to do. I just want to offer that to you as a picture of your journey. That the, the family of God is very diverse. Some people don't even want to go on this journey. Other people want to race ahead, and they wish we were already on year four. 
But actually, God calls us to walk together in his light. And as we do that, we experience heaven in moments. Other moments, I know it feels a bit like the other place. But, but, but we experience heaven. And we just go, God, you are good. You've given us so much. So I want to encourage you to walk together. Brand new members of the church and those who are mature in their faith. Whether you're from the 9.30 or the 11.15, whether you're young or old, whether you're married or single, whether you're going to vote Labour or Conservative, whether you're a Lever or a Remainer, whether you like traditional church or contemporary church, whether you're rich or poor, whether you're white or black or Asian or wherever you come from, whether you feel near to God, whether you're far from God, turn to one another and say, come, let us walk together in the light of the Lord. I just want to finish as we start. You know, this is the first Sunday in the church's year. This is the start of a new church year. And I just want to read to you some words that you have probably heard before. Um, King George VI read them um, in 1939 as the country entered into um, the Second World War. I said to the man who stood at the gate of the year, give me a light that I may tread safely into the unknown. And he replied, go out into the darkness and put your hand into the hand of God. That shall be to you better than light and safer than a known way. So I went forth. And finding the hand of God, trod gladly into the night, and he led me towards the hills and the breaking of day in the lone east. St. Mary and St. George, you are an amazing church. You are a light on a hill. You are here because God has called every single one of you to be part of this amazing journey. And I want to invite you to respond, to respond to God's call, to worship, to say, I'm in, I'm all in. To, to grow in your own faith, to let go and, and change, and to go, to let God send you out. So we're going to spend a bit of time praying now. I'd love to invite you to stand, if that's okay. If you're able, you can 